Welcome to Beyond Infinity, Piers Cunningham, joined by Simon Mulvaney, beekeeper and activist. Morning, Simon. Morning, Piers. It's a bit of a disturbing discussion today because we've been talking in the past about Varroa mite entering Australia, so it was literally the last country in the world, last continent and nation that didn't have Varroa mite as a problem, so even New Zealand has had Varroa mite for some time now and it's widely spread elsewhere in the world, uh, but Australia uh, has, has in the last couple of years, two or three years, um, been, uh, been subject to, the, to uh, the entry of the Varroa mite, and Varroa mite is a real danger to bees, and then bees are used for all sorts of purposes which we've discussed and which listeners will be aware of, things like pollinating crops, um, and obviously the honey industry, uh, they're a vital part of the natural ecosystem, and yet they're now under threat from varroa mite. And it sounds like I was looking at a, um, a website run by the New South Wales government. It's dpi.nsw.gov.au if, if anyone wants to check it out. But it has a map showing where the areas of varroa mite are. It's, it's Coffs Harbour, and most disturbingly, it's 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 around the Sydney Newcastle area. Just give us a bit of a background, um, Simon. How has it got into Australia, for starters? Uh, how? Because I think you've got an interesting theory about that. And, um, and it, it does seem, since we last spoke in the, you know, in the last year or so, it does seem to have actually got um, quite a lot worse. It's spread and it looks like containment measures aren't working. So you said something interesting then, and um, a lot of people would think you were incorrect, but you probably said something correct, which is how long has Varroa been here for? Because mm. officially, it's about a year anniversary now. Right. But unofficially, it's probably has been here for two to three years. And in that time, it could have easily been um, moved around a lot. Um and that's why maybe you are seeing that expansive map of where they're detecting it. Yeah. Um, because it's been here a lot longer than what they thought. Mm-hmm. So originally it got reported that it came in um, through the port of Newcastle and maybe came on the back of a ship. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the whistleblowing people who have been working on this have said, well, in fact, it looks more likely it's come from inland and eventually got to the Sentinel hives in Newcastle. Right. Um, and how that would have happened is people, ironically, are looking for a competitive advantage. And overseas, because the bees have been de- dealing with Varroa naturally for a long time, some of them have, have got hygienic traits that mean that they can deal with Varroa mite a lot better than our bees will. Right. Here. Okay. And so people have been bringing queen bees in from overseas. Ah, so people have been taking the issue of varroa mite into their own hands, and and uh, so so arguably for for good reason or for mm. fair enough reason, but under the radar, essentially smuggling the queen bees into the country. Yeah. So there's been some really large beekeepers caught doing this, right? Or or one in particular in the past. Mm-hmm. So. That's one reason. They, they may also import them for you know other traits that they might have, like honey-producing traits and, and temperament. But it does seem like that's probably the most likely way it got in. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the type of mite that we've got here and the genetic analysis of where it might have come from, the good news is the mite isn't carrying any diseases like overseas there's a disease deformed wing wing virus that gets the the mite spreads Mm -hmm. but here we haven't got that so 
that is a tiny bit of a positive but yeah when you when you show me that expanding map and i think a lot of people probably look at that map a bit like COVID in a way mm. where it's have we got any hope it's exponential kind of thing and and look we'll come to that because there's been an american professor Sam Ramsey, who's, uh, who's done a PhD on uh, the Varroa mite and done a lot on the sort of reproductive traits and, and anatomy and, and really detailed study. By the sound of things, one of the most detailed studies ever of this particular mite, which is an unusual little insect, to say the least. It has um, a bacteria within it mm. that um, it causes honeybees to, wings to be deformed ah, okay, and then not fly. So it carries... Okay, so it has, a, has, a, has an even more adverse effect. Yes. Yeah, okay. Mm. Right, gosh. Um, so, yeah, and that could be massive overseas, or it already is. Mm. It's just on the subject of overseas, where varroa mites have been around for quite a while, by the sound of things. I mean, and there's no other countries apart from Australia that, that um, until... Australia got it recently, but the rest of the world has had varroa mite for quite a while. So what do be? I mean, is it something that's that's manageable? I mean, presumably there is some kind of um, way of managing it overseas, or is it just getting worse and worse overseas? There's a real battle amongst beekeepers in you know in say America and, and Europe whether you can handle it through natural means or that you need chemicals. Mm. And the commercial industry tend to use chemicals. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, they're trying with a pesticide to kill one pest mm. and not harm the bee at the same time. Mm. So, which is hard. It, it, it's, it's extremely difficult. Or have other side effects on other other species out there, or other effects on the ecosystem, which which is undesirable. So, like the way they measure it is winter die-offs, and it's at record levels. I think in Europe and America, how many hives are actually dying off over the winter? Mm. Now, whether if that's Totally from the mite. A lot of beekeepers say yes, but maybe it's also pesticides and other things that are out there Climate. why they're having these um, collapse mm. collapses. Mm. Um, but what's really interesting on that is there's certain countries that haven't been able to afford the chemicals to treat the bees. Mm. And so that's like Cuba and Africa. Mm. And because maybe in the wild the host died off so much with the mite mm. or for whatever reason, the natural methods, mm. their bees now are handling Varroa or that Varroa isn't a big thing right. now in Africa Interesting, and, and Cuba. So the less we've we had less intervention from science, if you like, and from pharmaceutical, that, that sort of angle using pesticides, mm. you've actually got better outcomes. You've got less of a Varroa problem yes. in those areas. It's interesting, isn't it? Bring it back to Australia a bit. Now, let's just mention now the Professor Ramsey, who you've been in contact with recently, and we would love to interview him at some point, but we'll just have to wait and see how we go with that. He's, um, in fact, returned to America. He's out here to do some speaking. As I mentioned, he's, a, he's got a thing called the Ramsey Research Foundation. He has a Bachelor of Science in Entomology from Cornell University in 2011 and focused his research on predatory and parasitic insect behaviour. From there, he's, he's gone and, and sort of got more and more interested in um, the Varroa mite. And as I said, he's, he's done some pretty detailed study uh, and kind of, by the sound of things, opened up uh, you know, a lot more understanding of, of how this little critter works. Can you just summarise what he was doing in Australia and, and the advice that he's provided to the beekeeping industry in Australia? They, they got him out here because he's the world expert on Varroa mm-hmm. and um, the, I think the New South Wales Beekeeping Association got him to be a speaker recently. Mm-hmm. Um, 
from my understanding, which is similar to his, um, that it is very, a lot of what happens with the varroa mite happens under the cells themselves. Um, so you can't really detect varroa in the, varroa in the hive um, that efficiently in its early stages. Mm-hmm. Um, what he said, which is, um, well, what, what he said in the recent interview is if varroa has been here for longer than a year, it's probably endemic and you won't be able to, you know, stop it from spreading. Mm-hmm. Um, so he sheds light on, on errors in, in what I think the, the current system is. And the current system is they're trying to kill the host in a huge area, you know, from what you mentioned from Coffs Harbour to nearly Sydney now. Mm. To do that, you know, we've got so many thick national parks that includes gorgeous trees and inaccessible regions and so wild bee populations as well by the sound of things the varroa has spread from managed beehives i.e ones that are done for commercial purposes or for private beekeeping you know with with humans involved Mm. it's varroa has has now been detected in the wild in wild beehives that aren't aren't, um, managed by people or aren't, aren't, aren't controlled by people at all is that correct it's hard to detect whether yeah. they, they've, they've been in those. But and this makes it hard to, to stop it because how do you test for it? If, even if you were going to, you know, you had some magic bullet like uh, pesticide or burning the thing or destroying the whole hive or whatever it is that you, you know, you've got to try to control the mite. If it's so hard to detect, then you don't actually know whether those, when any method, whether it's good or not or harmful or not, has been successful. Well, it's extraordinary what they're really planning. They're, they're what are they planning? They're, well, they've already started doing it, which they're strategically placing poison baits that attract bees across those areas. Mm-hmm. And their plan is to kill every single wild bee in those areas. To be able to achieve that is just mind-boggling to think, one, how many bees are actually going to die. And so you've even got food growers in those areas now permaculture food growers, organic food growers that won't have any bees to pollinate their crops. Wow. The same area is a a real mecca for the food industry. Mm -hmm. So there was an article I read the other day where this farmer said he doesn't know whether to plant his watermelon or his pumpkins Mm. and spend that, invest that $15,000 if there's going to be no pollination. Right. So just for listeners, you've mentioned watermelons. We know almonds, uh, the almond industry is dependent on, on uh, commercial beekeepers to seasonally pollinate their crops. Because I think it kind of brings it home if you, if you actually know what the things on the supermarket shelves require bees for you know, them to be there on the supermarket shelf. It kind of brings it home to people. Mm. So watermelons, almonds, what other products? Blueberries is a yep. massive one, particularly yep. in that area. Yeah. Um, um, oranges, yep. mandarins, right. Um, right. macadamias. Right. So a, a big bunch of, of commercial crops and, and sort of popular staples in supermarkets yeah. are, are in jeopardy from bees being wiped out by varroa mite. How does the varroa mite get into bees? What, what does it do? What's the, what does it, how does it um, damage bee health? What does it, what's it actually doing? It's getting inside the bee, isn't it? It is. And, um, it's the, eating their liver or something. Yeah, so that, that's something I just learnt the other day, thanks mm. to this Dr. Samuel. Mm. Um, mm. Something in their liver allows them 
to procreate. Yep. Um, He's got a website, by the way, drsammy.online. If you want to check out his um, his stuff, you can you can have a look at this. And he's also got a thing called Fight the Might Initiative, which is a, a separate website. But yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, um, the other thing I learnt from him recently is the mite doesn't have to breed outside the beehive. It breeds underneath the capping of the cell itself. So as soon as the, the female mite comes out, it's ready to reproduce. Yeah. Now, that mite might stay on the back of a bee, fly out and land on a flower mm. and then another bee comes onto that flower and transports that mite back to the hive and it lays its eggs mm. and they're actually quite slow to build up the infestation mm. so you it, a bad infestation it means that it's like about two years old mm. the the mm. infection infection right that's the other thing it, it creeps creeps up on beekeepers mm. Mm. slow to, to multiply means that you're kind of not aware of the effects for a while until it sort of hits a critical point and then suddenly you've got a real problem. Exactly, and if you're moving it around mm. or if you're taking... And th- this is my real beef at the moment. They're all of a sudden allowing hive movements interstate from New South Wales. Right. Last year I ran a campaign to stop New South Wales hives going... A successful campaign to stop them going from to the almond pollination mm-hmm. because... In Victoria, we get three states of bees, you know, South Australia, Queensland and New South Wales to pollinate the almonds. Mm -hmm. It's the second biggest sort of pollination event in the world now. And and it becomes a super spreading event for anything. Mm. So if if the mites get to the almonds, Mm. all of a sudden... Because all the other commercial beekeepers from South Australia and Victoria and states at the moment haven't been affected. Yeah. But then there's a bit of a question mark we were saying off air that we don't even really know because of the difficulty in identifying it and, and, and saying for sure, you know, this, this is a clean colony or this is one that's been infested because they're hard to detect yeah. in the first place. And that's, that's also why they're killing a lot of healthy hives mm. in those red zones. Yeah. So I just think, one, you know, you've surely got to find... The, the width of infection before you start the killing. Mm. And I think we, we've been given an opportunity to research how varroa is going to affect Australian bees in these zones mm. before killing them. The other problem with this, there's, there's no insecticide that only kills the one thing. So this insecticide, Fipronol, that I've been campaigning to actually ban in Australia. Mm. That's what they're using to kill all the wild bees. But that also kills indigenous bees and other insects and even some of the indigenous bees that might be endangered species in those areas. So killing, so killing commercial bee, beekeepers' hives as well as backyard enthusiasts' hives and then also the native indigenous bee populations as well. That's what they're undertaking. Yeah, yeah. And, but simultaneously... They're risking the whole of Australia by allowing hives to move around interstate that could be carrying the mite. Mm. Wow, it's disturbing. In New South Wales, and there'll be other equivalents in in, uh, different states in the country, but if you detect varroa mite, you can call the exotic plant pest hotline on 1-800-084-881. That's business hours. You can find more information from the... Department of Primary Industry website, dpi.nsw.gov.au. 
and there it also has information about where these emergency zones are. And there's that map that I was referring to earlier, which shows you the areas where it's at least it's confirmed that there's varroa mite, which doesn't mean that it's not elsewhere. Now, one of the things that I think Dr. Ramsey was asked when he was in Australia recently, as I said, we are going to endeavour to, to interview him at some point because it'd be great to have him um, giving us, you know, sort of information from the horse's mouth, so to speak. At what point do you say, okay, we've gone from trying to eradicate to contain? And, and it's interesting, it's kind of similar to the discussion we had with COVID. You know, it was, it was you know, is, that, is it really a, a realistic policy to, to think you can eradicate something that is in the rest of the world and for whatever reason, basically ge- geography and, and distance and removal and, and obviously having tight biosecurity rules and stuff, you know, bringing things into Australia, which unfortunately by the sound of things have been circumvented. I mean, there's no, it's not airborne, it's not capable of getting here any other way. Well, I mean, mm. bees, can bees fly from New Zealand to Australia? No. No. So they ha- it has been brought in by someone. So at what point do we, do we give up on the idea of eradication and just go for management as is now the case in the rest of the world? Well, he said, if it's been here for more than a year, and this is how you started off the inter- interview, you said has it been here for maybe two to three years and most people would have corrected you there but the information that i'm getting is it's been here a lot longer than what they originally thought which was the original well the sort of official timetable was about a year yeah they're official so it's already been here for a year but if they release the 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 true information um or scientifically say that it has been here for a longer time then you are almost if you believe dr Ramsey, yeah then you then you uh, then you kind of say well we're compelled to go the into horse that manager. Bolted. Yeah. yeah and originally i i I'd studied the original plan and a lot of people were demanding that all the hides get killed quickly you know there's a lot of no one wants varroa you know i don't want it here in victoria no one wants it originally the dpi said the right decision we have to find the outskirts of the mite Mm. and then decide what to do Mm. but prematurely they've started this killing program and they haven't even found the outskirts of where the mites you know they're still finding more cases Mm. and originally i you know when i read the documentation it said if there's more than eight cases in different eight areas then it's not going to be worthwhile now there's like 155 different cases and i think because they've invested so much and beekeepers have lost so much that they're going extra hard to 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 win this war that you know according to dr sammy is probably unwinnable at this stage it's disturbing that that you know that obviously the industry is being affected like this, but but also just bees in the in the in the wild as well. So we don't even have a fallback. You know, there's not it's not you can't just say oh it's just affecting commercial beekeeping operators or operations. It, it's uh, it's actually very likely going to be everywhere and and quite quickly. You know? In New Zealand, it was quite dramatic what happened there. They unfortunately didn't try too much containment they didn't stop the migratory beekeeping mm-hmm. so it spread pretty quickly but once it hit the natural stocks of the wild bees they had a collapse of the feral or wild bees out there mm-hmm. and that that caused massive drops in gdp mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize that most of our pollination in australia for farmers comes from feral bee populations or wild bee populations right so it's happening naturally it's just happening in a region where so the it, wild bees are known to be 
doing the work for people who've, who are cropping. Well, the farmer's getting a free ride, and that's, you know, if you call it that, that's probably how nature should work. Yeah. It, 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 it's, um, it's, it's, it's just, it's just a, if you're in a location which has got a good, healthy, you know, ecosystem, ecosystem then then um, bees will be part of that, and bees will help you out with your, with your crop. Yeah, mm. and um, and so that, that's been happening. So I think a lot of food growers, that's um, why they're, they're putting in money to eradicate the bees because it is going to affect the output of food if it does get out. Can you summarise if there was anything that Dr Sam Ramsey, the specialist from uh, America, what he was saying when he was out here and, being, and, and advising beekeepers and, and uh, government about how to respond, is there any hope of dealing with this or really it, it's, it's going to be an uphill battle? All the scientists I've spoken to, and including him, say that it is possible to contain it. All you have to do is stop hive movement mm-hmm. and it will be contained. And in New Zealand, although it got out there, it didn't reach the other islands for 15 years or something. It seems pretty obvious that you do keep the border closed at least. And maybe you create an area in New South Wales where you can move hives around because the way that the nature of some of these commercial beekeeping operations is they can't, uh, there's so many hives, they can't say stay stationary. They actually have to move around to feed their bees. That's the obvious one for me. What seems to have happened for me is there's been really strong lobbying from the almond industry and I think there's been, they've even put out figures. It's a, definitely in the high millions, if not a billion, that they may have lost last year because of not being able to have enough hives from New South Wales at their pollination. Because of the restrictions, because of the movement restrictions yeah. imposed by the DPI. And so I think they were given a green light under the table, like next year you'll be going. Okay. And that's, that's really where my beef is. Mm. Um, there's a lot of focus on people killing hives at the moment to do the right thing Mm. but if you really want to do the right thing at the moment and you are a big commercial beekeeper you wouldn't be going to the almonds because that's what's going to risk yeah the rest of australia is is mass movement can the can the almond growers do without bees from new south wales can other states which aren't affected by varroa might um, make up the shortfall they tried that last year. They actually made a corridor for Queensland beekeepers to get into Victoria. Right. And, um, yeah, supposedly that worked. Mm-hmm. The other thing, they did a, a mass testing at the almonds last year. Mm. But as we found out, the testing is, isn't, isn't 100%. 100%. Mm. So, you know, it could already be interstate. It, it looks pretty ominous. It's been a difficult one for me in running Save the Bees because... Either way, there's there's bees that are going to die as a result of this mite being out here. This is from, again, from Professor Ramsey. By the sound of things, a greater understanding of the biology and the, the anatomy and the way the reproductive cycle for the varroa mite works is an area that they're focusing on with a view to control because obviously... Uh, and I think this is done with lots of different parasites and, and invasive species and whatever. If you can get into the, if you can break the reproductive cycle, then you've got a way of stopping them. Mm. So understand the reproductive cycle and when there may be a, a stage at that of that cycle when you can intervene or you can prevent uh, the next generation being able to grow, develop. Then that's an important thing. One of the areas is trying to disrupt the mites' ability to move proteins into their eggs because they're doing 
this through a process that the bees don't have and so anything that targets that will only kill the mites. So I'm quoting from an interview he did with the ABC there. Yeah, so that would be great if there was some initiative like that. Mm. Uh, Like, I actually think nature is the best healer. And what's fascinating, someone sent me an article the other day and some of these um, bees in these countries, I think in Cuba or Africa, have worked out a system of getting rid of the mite. Mm -hmm. And they'll actually, some of the worker bees will sniff out the mites that are under the brood cells and take them out and clean them up. So I think the solution is probably going to be genetic versions of bees that can handle the mite. Right. Mm. Mm. I wonder if they can uh, get an AI-powered bee. No, well, that's scary because (laughs) there are places that are using... um, Drone bees now for pollination. Yeah. And in Israel, they've already released... Drone bees? Yeah. Or it's like a drone that does what a bee does. Yeah. It's a bit like... That's been taught how to pollinate. Right. And... um, Because the Chinese were doing it by manually with um, with like feather dusters or something, weren't they? Well, their DPI have offered to teach people how to hand pollinate on some of these crops. Right. And so I never thought I'd... I'd see the day and Mm. I just, you know, it just seems so foolish to me that they're undertaking this massive task of killing bees through this region that is, they couldn't stop the fires in that region. Mm. It was so Mm. built up with forests and national parks and gorges and mountains. So it's pretty frightening what they're attempting and to think that people are hand pollinating in Newcastle and... Mm. That was something that was previously sort of only in China. Well, thank you very much for speaking today. Simon Mulvaney, beekeeper. Can you give give us your uh, social media handles? Yeah, so we've we've got quite a bit of material up now at bethecure.com. On social media, we're at Save the Bees Australia on Facebook and Instagram, and you can stay updated there. I would urge people to sign a petition that we should stop the poisoning program. I've got a picture of a blue-banded bee on that petition because they're one of the bees, indigenous bees, that can be affected by the poisoning. Mm -hmm. There's another petition where, unfortunately, the beekeepers haven't been given much compensation. I think they've been given about $1,000 per hive that they've lost whereas that might only cover one harvest that they would have had mm-hmm. from some of these hives. So there is a, a class action that looks like it's, it's developing against the way it's been handled. Just out of interest, you know, you're quite, quite the influencer in the sort of beekeeping community of Australia. What sort of numbers have you got on Insta and Facebook? Well, well, Facebook's over 100,000, and I've got about 60,000, I think, on Instagram. Yeah. There's about three petitions. Okay, and they're all, they can all be, you can find them through your Insta or, or, or Facebook pages. Facebook page or on the website bethecure.com. Okay. There's one of those petitions that's got 300,000 signatures. And right. We, I should probably come back and, and talk about this. Well, that was in regards to the labelling of food and imported oh, honey. Yeah, yeah. okay. That, that was a big part. I said we shouldn't be importing honey because we don't have roa mite. It gives us a competitive advantage and our honey's better than everywhere else in the world because there's not treatments. Yep. But unfortunately, we have seen this huge amount of imported honey start coming back in just in the last six months. Okay. Even though inflation's in prices going up, the price of honey and beeswax have been going down for beekeepers. Right. 
that's also a massive concern, but um, we can chat about that another time. Yeah, okay. All right, well, there's, look, there's, a, there's a whole lot of uh, interviews that Simon's done over the years with me, and you can find that on beyondinfinity.com.au. And if you just do a search for Simon Mulvaney, M-U-L-V-A-N-Y, or bees, either of those will yield a bunch of information about things like food security, truth in advertising, correct labelling, some of the campaigns you just mentioned and also the Varroa mite and the safety and security and, and ongoing viability of the Australian beekeeping industry. So thanks very much, Simon Mulvaney, for yeah. coming in. Thanks, Pete. Beyond Infinity. Beyond.